2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is a very familiar verse, and I hope you know this verse. I want to preach this morning uh, a message on show me the evidence. Show me the evidence. Uh, President Trump uh, has had uh, accusations that he is colluding with the Russians, or he colluded with the Russians. I'm not even sure I know what colluding means. Uh, I think of colliding, you know, you run into somebody. But uh, I've, I've heard one side say this, show us the evidence. If, you know, just let's see the evidence. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, I believe what this verse tells us is this. If you are saved, if you claim to be saved, there ought to be evidence. I mean, it has to be evidence. If President Trump did whatever he's supposed to have done, uh, then there's going to be evidence to prove it. And uh, if you've done what you say you've done, then there's going to be evidence to prove it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that's our position. That's a, a saved person, baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. Somebody that's saved, somebody that's born again, somebody that's washed in the blood of Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, salvation is a life-changing experience. You cannot get saved and not be changed. You cannot get saved and stay the way you were. I say this all the time in our church. God will save you like you are. But he won't leave you like you were. We don't don't get good enough to get saved. God will save you just like you are. But when God saves you, God is going to change you. I got married 50, almost 52 years ago. And getting married, that was an experience. And my life changed when I got married. I didn't live just by myself. I've had another person. We've lived together all these years. My wife and I have a relationship, a husband-wife relationship. I got saved in 1975. That was a life-changing experience. And for these last 40-some-whatever years, I've had a relationship with the Lord. He is my father, and I am his son. Now, when I was a little boy, I was maybe seven or eight years old, I used to go to a Wednesday afternoon Bible club. And I didn't go because I was spiritual. I went because my mom sent me. And I remember one Wednesday afternoon, the lady did a flannel graph lesson. And she had a picture of hell and a picture of heaven. And she said, if you don't want to go to hell, if you want to go to heaven, ask Jesus in your heart. So I didn't want to go to hell. I was scared of that. And I want to go to heaven. So I said, well, Jesus, I want you in my heart. Now, if you would have asked me when I was a teenager, if you would have asked me when I was a young adult, if I was saved, I'd tell you I was saved. And if you asked me how I got saved, I would have said, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. And a lot of people would have thought, well, you you got the right answer. You got the right words. But let me say this. At 30 years old, I came to church. It was because of our kids. 
And my wife and I attended church, and it was a Bible-believing church. It was a preaching church. And as I sat there and I heard the gospel and I heard about getting saved, here's what I thought about. My life never changed. Salvation is a life-changing experience. Conversion is a change. If you go from having oil heat to gas heat, you talk about you converted to gas heat. And I looked back on my life and I thought, you know, I'm just the same person I always was. And the Holy Spirit used that to convict me that I was lost and I wasn't saved. Now, I'm not trying to get saved people to doubt your salvation today. That's not even what the message is about. But let me just say this. There ought to be some kind of evidence in your life that the Holy Spirit is living inside you. There ought to be some evidence in your life of of God. There ought to be a a desire for the things of God and a fondness for for the things of, uh, of the Lord. Now, let me just say this. When I'm talking about changed life, I'm not talking about reformation. We have an RU program in our church, Reformers Unanimous. And uh, it's, 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 it's trying to help people with different addictions and problems. And, and it's a great program. But what we do with this program is we give people the gospel. Because we want people to get saved. That's what they need. And, and the Lord, listen, the Lord will save you. The Lord will deliver you. Now, here's the thought. Lost people can reform. I know people go to AA. I'm not against AA. I know people go to AA, lost people, and they reform. And they stop drinking or they stop doing drugs. And I'm glad for that. But there's a difference between reformation and transformation. Man can reform. You can reform. I can reform. God transforms. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're talking about salvation is a transforming experience. We go, listen, we go from death unto life. We are passed from death unto life. We are spiritually dead and we get saved. God quickens us and we receive eternal life. Go with me over to the book of Matthew, the first gospel, chapter number three. And in Matthew chapter number three, we have John the Baptist. He's not John the Presbyterian. He's not John the Methodist. He's John the Baptist. And uh, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now John was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. And his message is you need to repent because the king is coming. The king is coming. Well, guess what? The king came and they hung him on a cross. And God, listen, God set aside the Jews until finally when the church is called out and the church is saved and then the Lord is going to come. But his message was you need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And over in verse 5, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. So these people are repenting and they're confessing their sins and they're believing John's message. The king is coming. He's going to set up his kingdom. Now the Bible says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were the rulers, these were the religious people, 
come unto his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. Can you imagine that today? People come to church and preach because I'm saying, you bunch of snakes. That ain't going to go over too good these days, especially when you're being streamlined. Whatever we're doing, whatever line we're on, Brother Joe, I don't know, I don't know that old stuff. Um, o generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruit, meats for repentance. Hey, if you're really sorry, if you're really repenting, if you're really serious about getting baptized, show me the evidence. Show me the proof. That's what he's saying to them. Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. If you're just messing around, if you're just, you know, these religious people, they never really did want the truth. When they asked the question, they really didn't want the truth. They just wanted to catch people in their words. They really, you know, there's a lot of people love to argue religion that don't really want the truth. You can, you can waste a lot of time, whoever's out there, talking to a bunch of Jehovah false witnesses. Because they're really not looking for the truth. And these people were not looking for the truth. They weren't there for the truth. They just were there to stir up trouble and see where they could find fault. And he said, if you're going to get baptized, if you're repenting, show us the proof. Show us, show us the evidence. Sammy Allen, I don't know, Brother Joe, if you know Sammy Allen, but he's an old Georgia evangelist, Georgia preacher. And I heard him say this one time. He said, when we have a revival meeting, we don't count the converts till five years later. Now, I don't think he really meant that. I think he was kind of exaggerating a little bit, but I knew what he was saying. You know, you can say a lot of things. You can, you can make a lot of professions and you can make a lot of promises. But John said, bring forth the fruit. Let's see. Let's see the evidence. Let's see. Here's what he's saying. Let's see your life. Let's, let's look at your life. Let's see your life. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people here today, you're saved? Let me see. Raise your hand. All right, you're saved. If you were on trial for being a Christian, could they find enough evidence to convict you? You tell me. I don't work where you work. I don't live in the neighborhood you live in. I'm not part of your family. But if you were on trial... And there was the, your lawyer was there. Thank God we have an advocate with the Father. And the prosecutor was there. There is a devil. But if the prosecutor and the advocate were arguing back and forth, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? If you're a Christian, listen, if you're saved, you ought to live like you're saved. You know, today we have people that don't want to come to a church that preaches against anything. And we have these contemporary services where all you're going to hear is happy, 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 happy. And everybody's happy and we're all happy and you're okay and I'm okay. Listen, it's not too much to expect a Christian to live like a Christian. It's not too much to ask a Christian to dress like a Christian. Think like a, if a saved person don't act like they're saved. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's pretty simple stuff. Look with me over in Revelation chapter number 12. In Revelation chapter number 12, and uh, last book in the Bible, and I'm going to read verse number 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. The Bible talks about the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, 
where the beast and the false prophet are. One of the ways the devil deceives people is about their salvation. I would have told you, and I believed for probably 20 years that I was saved, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was deceived. The devil's good at deceiving people. He, he, he's great. He makes sin look good. The devil's an expert at making sin look good. And uh, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the blood. And by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Now look at that. The word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. A word. We talk words, don't we? Uh, We communicate in words. I am speaking a language. I'm speaking words. The Bible says the words of your testimony. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Your talk talks. And your walk talks. And your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Here's this verse that talks about overcoming by the word of your testimony. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about what your testimony says. What does your testimony... I know what your lips say, but what does your testimony say? What does your life say? That's where the proof is. I can can say I can fly. I can get up on the roof and say, watch me fly. And then I can jump off and break my neck. There has to be proof. Do you understand what I'm saying? The word is what we say. The testimony is what we live. The word is powerful, but so is your testimony powerful. Now listen... Your testimony doesn't replace your word. It reinforces it. In other words, I'm not going to stop telling people I'm saved. I'm not going to tell people, stop telling people they need to be saved. I'm not going to stop evangelizing. I'm not going to close my mouth. I'm a witness. But my word, listen, my word, my testimony has to back up what I say. I have to live what I, I have to practice what I preach. I want you to think about that. You back up your word with your testimony. The word of your testimony. Your testimony says more than what your lips say. I was down in Corpus Christi, Texas, 1980, and I was preaching in a cell block. I was preaching in a jail, and it was just bars. There was no walls, and there was guys way, I guess, about 80, 90, 100 feet down the cell block. And you just had to get up there and just hold on to the bars and just holler as loud as you could. There's no microphone. There's some guys in there and they're not paying attention. Some of them want to hear. Some of them don't want to hear. And way in the back, a guy says, move over. Move over. I said, why do you want me to move over? He says, I want to see what you look like. I said, why do you want to see what I look like? He said, well, there was a guy in here a couple weeks ago and he was preaching to us, but he looked like a hippie. And we didn't want to listen to anything he had to say. Now that was, that was 37 years ago. But what this guy, listen, what he was saying was, I want to see if you look like a Christian or not. I want to see if you look like a preacher. I want to see if your testimony backs up what you're saying. 
One of the biggest lies the devil ever, ever tells. One of the biggest lies the devil ever, the devil ever tells is this. If you want to win the world, you got to join them. You got to act like them. You got to look like them. You got to be like them. I want to tell you something. That is a lie from hell. Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to read just two verses, but you know the story about Lot. Lot goes down into Sodom. Abraham doesn't want anything to do with Sodom. Abraham is a picture of a separated believer. Lot is a picture of a carnal Christian. In the end, everything Lot has is burned up. It's a picture of a person at the judgment seat of Christ that gets no reward. So the angels are going to get a hold of Lot and they tell him, look, we're going to burn this place down. We're going to burn it up. And if you've got any family in here, you need to get them out. So you know the story and I'll read it to you in verse 14. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, which married his daughters. He was down there in Sodom and the daughters ended up marrying these Sodomites. And he said, up, get you out of this place. The Lord will destroy the city. That's what the angel said. He seemed as one as mocked to his son-in-laws. He says, get out of here. The Lord's going to destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-law. Now, when Lot lost his testimony, Lot lost his influence. He had no influence because he had no testimony. His own, listen, his own family just mocked him. His own family just laughed at him. Who are you to talk to us about the Lord? Who are you to talk to us about God? You're down here in Sodom. You're living here in this place just like we're living here. Who are you? What are you, holier than thou? You think you're better than we are? Let me say something, folks. When you lose your testimony, you lose your influence. I'm talking about in your family. I'm talking about with your kids. You lose, you lose your, you have no testimony, you have no, you have no influence. But I want to just say this, listen, I believe that's living proof that acting like the world and being like the world and talking like the world doesn't win the world. It does not. Listen, the world doesn't need to see somebody that's like them. The world needs to see somebody that's different. The, the world needs to see somebody that has something they don't have. The world needs to see somebody that has something and they say, that's what I need. I mentioned a friend of mine last night, one of my old gambling buddies from 40-some years ago, living down in South Carolina, came up to visit his son. And while he was up in New Jersey, he called me. He said, I need to come see you. I want to see you. I took him around the church. I took him and showed him our property and showed him our, our uh, college property. And we just walked around. I gave him a Dunn book. I gave him tracks. I gave him uh, CDs from my family singing. I don't know if he's saved or he's not saved. I witnessed to him. I don't think he's saved. I'm praying he'll get saved. But let me just say something. When he came up from South Carolina, there was a whole group of us. Used to play cards together. Used to go to racetrack together. Used to run around together. He didn't look any of those other ones up. He didn't. This wasn't like, you know, a a high school reunion. He, He wasn't just looking for his old friends. He didn't really give a hoot about those people. But he came looking for me. I'm not patting my back. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. But what he, he's really looking for was he's looking for the Lord. And, he, and he, he wanted to see what I had. You know, I mean, he hadn't seen me. You know, you don't see somebody in 40 years. 
And you want to see, you know, did it last? Does he, are they saved? Did, did they have what, he's getting older and he knows he needs the Lord. We, listen, let me say this. The world has a right to expect more of us. The world should expect more of us. We're supposed to be Christians. We tell people we're saved. Jimmy Baker, Bill Clinton. Jimmy Baker got in trouble. Bill Clinton got in trouble. You know what? The world just gave Bill a pass. They just forgave Bill. But they, man, they crucified Jimmy Baker. You know why? Because he names the name of Christ. He set himself up as somebody that, that was different. Again, we're not better. We're blessed. But we ought to live better. We ought to live different. There ought to be a difference between us. You ought to be able to tell the cowboys from the Indians. Can I tell you? You ought to be able to tell the cowboys from the Indians. When I was a little kid, I used to watch the cowboy movies. Listen, the good guy always wore the white hat. The bad guy always wore the black hat. The Indians always had feathers. You could tell the good guys from the bad guys. Today, we got people say they're good guys, but they're living just like the bad guys. Come on. Come on. I got saved. Man, I'm so glad I got saved out of that miry clay, out of that pig pen of sin. I don't want to go back there. There's nothing back there. I don't need any of that. Look in John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. In John chapter number 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Picture of the rapture. Lazarus come forth. And he comes forth. And he says, loose him and let him go. And now in John chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus is only a week away from being crucified. Everything from here on in to the end of the book of John, only, it, it only covers a week. That, almost the whole book of John, is one week is condensed into this book. And uh, look, at, look at verse number 9. Much people, the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Now here's Jesus, and he's here with Lazarus, and they're having this supper together. And the people came to see Jesus, but they also came to see Lazarus. And the Bible says in verse 11, because by reason of him, verse 10, the chief priest consented that they might put Lazarus to death. Because by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now, here's Jesus, here's Lazarus. Lazarus was dead, and he's alive. And all these people hear about it, and they all come, and a lot of them come, and they want to see Jesus, but they also want to see Lazarus. Why do they want to see Lazarus? Because he's living proof that Jesus was the Messiah. He was able to raise him from the dead. The, the priest, they wanted to kill him because people were believing because of him. Look what it says. Because by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Can I tell you something? Every born-again Christian has been raised spiritually from the dead. Right. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 says, And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You are a walking miracle. Don't think that getting saved isn't a miracle. Only God can save you. Only God can, can regenerate you. You're, we're born of the Spirit. That it's a second birth. That, that is an absolute miracle. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died again. 
Listen, we're raised from the dead spiritually and we never die spiritually. We have eternal life. We have everlasting life. Here's what I'm saying. We are a living miracle. We're a living miracle. You were somebody that was dead spiritually and you're alive. And your testimony ought to be bringing people to Christ. There ought to be people that believe because of you. Man, when I saw what happened to him, man, I knew there was a change. I knew there was different. I knew it was real. A changed life ought to be bringing forth fruit. I'm not saying don't witness. I'm not saying don't give out the gospel. Look in Genesis 45, and I'm almost done. Stay with me. In Genesis chapter 45, Joseph is one of the most complete pictures of Christ in the whole Bible. And his, his brothers hate him. They envy him. They, they sell him into slavery. And he, and he gets raised up, and he's seated, and he's over Egypt. And his brothers come down to buy corn. And they don't, remember, they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. And then the second time, the second time they come to him, he reveals himself. He shows them. He tells them that he's Joseph. And they recognize him the second time, just like Israel's going to recognize their Messiah the second time. And he tells them, I want you to go home and, and get your father, get Jacob, and bring him down here. And there's going to be a great famine, and, and I'm going to take care of you here, down here in Egypt. And God takes care of us while we're down here in Egypt, doesn't he? Huh? And uh, verse 25, Genesis 45, 25. And they went out, up out of Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he's the governor over the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed him not. Hey, they said, he's alive, he's alive. And Jacob didn't believe him. He didn't believe that Joseph was alive. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people today who don't believe Jesus is alive. A whole lot of people don't believe he's alive. They say, you know what, show us the proof. Show us the proof. Well, the Bible's proof, isn't it? The Bible's the word of God. But your life, your changed life ought to be proof too. And the Bible says, they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I'll go and see him before I die. What happened? He didn't believe. And then he saw all these wagons that Joseph had sent. And when he saw the wagons, that was evidence that Joseph was alive. Now I know, listen to me, I know we get saved by faith. I'm not trying to change the plan of salvation here. We're, we're saved by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. We're, we're, not, we're not saved by any kind of works. But I'm saying this, a changed life is the evidence of a changed heart. If you have a changed heart, there is going to be evidence. There is going to be a change. There is going to be a difference. I'm talking about every time. You can't tell me you have a changed heart and your life has never changed. You, you, if you're still what you were, you're not saved. I'm not saying you're never tempted. I'm not saying you don't sin. But I'm saying there's a new heart. There's a new desire. There's a new life. He saw the evidence, and when he saw the evidence, he believed. Let me give you one more verse, and we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. You know, the Bible says no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. 
Everything we say, everything we do affects other people. We are either stepping stones or we're stumbling blocks. I don't, I don't want to say something. I don't want to do something that's going to hurt somebody from being saved. Years ago, I used to eat in a little, little cafe, little diner, little cafeteria. And there were some guys across the street had an auto body. And I was saved, and this was before I went to ministry. I was doing construction. And I'd see these guys in the morning, and I started witnessing to them. And I invited them out to church. I gave them gospel tracts. And they didn't, didn't, didn't seem open. And one day, you know, I pressed the guy a little bit, and he said, uh, you know this church down the street? I said, yeah, I know that church. He said, you know so-and-so? I said, yeah, he's a deacon there. He said, well, about two years ago, he said, we fixed his car. And he came in on a Friday, and he was supposed to pay us. And he said the bank was closed, and he didn't have a chance to get the money. And could he just take the car? He needed the car, and he came in on Monday and pay us. Well, guess what? Two years later, he still hadn't paid him. And you know what? I, I had no influence on those people. They had no interest in getting saved because of that person's testimony. It is important how we live. I was visiting a preacher who was dying in the hospital. And I always talk to whoever's in the other bed, whatever, whatever patient I visit. And I, I recognized the guy's name. And I said, uh, you know, I, I went to church with a guy, so-and-so, same last name. He said, he said, yeah, that's my brother. I said, well, you know, we went to church together and, and we, we were working at a death. And, you know, and I was talking about his brother. And the guy stopped me. He said, we had a business together. My brother cheated me out of everything I had. Now, this is a guy's own brother. But can I just tell you something? Both of those people died. The pastor died, and that guy died like two days later. And he was not open to the gospel, and he didn't want to hear nothing. Because his brother, who professed to be a Christian, cheated him out of his part of the business. His own brother. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And verse number 2, Paul says to these Corinthians, you are our epistle, written in our hearts. Notice this, known and read of all men. Known and read of all men. I remember an old preacher years ago, 30 years ago, I remember he said this. He said, listen, your life is the only Bible a lot of lost people will ever read. Your, your, your life is the only Bible a lot of lost people will ever read. Look at this verse. Man, that, that verse, what a responsibility. What a responsibility. Paul says, you know, he's got his epistles. He's got the book of Romans. He's got Galatians. All these, Paul wrote these books. It's all from God, but Paul wrote it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He says to the people, you're, you're my epistle. People read your life. Just like people read the word of God, they read your life. People watch you. People are looking at you. People that you don't even know. If people know you know him, they're watching you. The maniac of Gadara in Mark chapter 5. I'm having a problem talking this morning. The maniac of Gadara, he was in the tombs. He didn't wear any clothes. He broke the chains. He was a wild man. 
Jesus comes and casts the devil out of him. The Bible says he's seated at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. And he says to Jesus, he said, Lord, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. And you know what the Lord tells him over Mark? He says, I want you to go home. And I want you to tell your friends. And I want you to tell your family what great things the Lord has done for you. Man, we ought to testify. We ought to be praising the Lord and telling people what God has done for us. How good the Lord has been. Over in the book of Luke, the same person, the same maniac, he's seated at the feet of Jesus, and he's clothed, and it is his right mind. And he says, Lord, I want to follow you. And Luke puts it this way. The Lord said, no, I want you to go home. I want you to go home to your family. I want you to go home to your friends. And there's a word that's changed. He says, I want you to show them. I want you to show them because, listen, actions speak louder than words. I want you to show them what great things the Lord has done for you. I want you to show them. How many people know the song, If You're Saved and You Know It? Sing it with me, one verse. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it. If you're saved and you know it, your life will surely show it. If you're saved, there's going to be evidence. There's going to be proof. Your family, your family. How's your testimony with your family? How's your testimony with your neighbors? How's your testimony with the people you work with? How's the testimony with the people you do business with? Do you ever greet somebody and say, how you doing? I try not to do that anymore because I, used to, I just got so discouraged when they told me how they were doing. <laughs> how you doing? People say to me, how you doing? I say, better than I deserve. So everybody's had somebody say to you, how you doing? Well, let me ask you a question. What would you do if I said to you, how you living? Let me ask you a question. How you living? How you living? When I started preaching, I said, you know, I hate these big introductions because I can't live up to them. Nobody can live like Christ lived. But it ought to be our goal. Amen. We, ought to, we ought to want to live the Christian life. We, to be a disciple is someone who's learning to be what the master already is. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The only way, listen, the only way we can ever live the Christian life is to be filled with the Spirit of God and to live in the Spirit. It's the only way. What is in your life that isn't a good testimony? What is in your life that isn't a good testimony? And what is missing in your life? Things that ought to be in your life to make you a good testimony. Brother Joe, you come.